You are listening to Drop Tent Media Network. Uh, my undocumented ass podcast. With Che Guerrero. The winds really change talk. in one direction. They got to harass someone else. I get it. I get exactly. it. Like, people don't realize how just one little access can literally change a whole family's life. Hey, welcome to another episode of My Undocumented Ass Podcast. Uh, for this episode, I do want to do a little trigger warning. Uh, we have a lot of heavy subject matter, uh, SA abuse. So before we get into it, I want you guys just to be aware. Uh, the conversation is amazing. Uh, I had somebody reach out to me on Instagram, Amy Singh. Uh, very, very incredible uh, young <laughs> Gen Z individual. But they talk about uh, coming from Canada and being undocumented from Canada. They talk about what it's like to be to marry someone who uses your immigration status as a weapon and also talks about what the process is like to have to apply for VAWA uh, violence against women act it's a very heavy conversation very nuanced and amy shares a lot of her story with us so i hope you enjoy today you reached out to me on instagram so uh i really you know I'm starting to have a, like fans. I hate to say fans because you're like not like a fan, like that. but like you know people who. Right. Are, hey, this is my story. You know, I want to reach out to you because like I feel like you know, just getting the celebrity stories a little like. But yeah, everybody knows their story. You know, we need some we need some regular people here to talk about their experience. So thank you so much for reaching out to me. Yeah, thanks for having me on your podcast. I follow you on TikTok and I love all of your content there. So. Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. It's, uh, yeah, it's a real blessing. I have I have a lot of exciting stuff coming up. So like. Uh, I can't wait to share with uh, with you and everybody else in the community what's what's going on. Uh, but yeah, uh, where are you? Where are you at right now? Like East Coast, West Coast? So I actually <laughs> ended up in Utah. Okay. <laughs> Funny story how. Okay. Um, so originally I'm from Canada. Oh, okay. But my my mom is from Guyana, and um, Canada wasn't working for her, so she decided let's just forego everything to come to the states okay and so kind of like a lot of undocumented kids you know my mom didn't go about it the right way she just kind of picked us up packed up one little suitcase our dog drove across the border we spent forever at the peace bridge and then we moved to queens so oh wow oh you grew up in queens <laughs> yeah uh-huh i went to high school there francis lewis Okay, I went to uh, Woodhaven in uh, I grew okay. up in Woodhaven, Queens. What part of Queens yeah. did you grow up in? Um, kind of like Fresh Meadow, Flushing. Okay, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, both New York kids. Wow. Yeah. Like, twenty. Like, uh, how old are you? I'm twenty five. Twenty five. Okay, because you know I'm like thirty four, so I'm like, man, people are still right. going to New York City. You know, like I feel like immigrants in New York City is like a story that's no longer told. <laughs> so I feel like you're like the last generation to be like yes we migrated to new york city like people don't do that anymore it's too expensive it's so expensive yeah yep. we are like a new um, generation that people are like i'm in utah now or alabama or mississippi it's like new immigration stories coming up so you grew up in uh, you grew up mostly in new york yeah so i was about 15 when we moved from canada to new york and it's kind of ironic because my mom obviously immigrated from Guyana, which, you know, is in South America next to Brazil. Um, and so she... I actually knew that. I actually knew that. Yeah. I was married to a Guyanese woman. And I, okay. that's, that's why in a lot, I, I also thought it was in Africa when I first, like mm -hmm. like a dumb a New York people, yeah. yeah, public school. I was like, Guyana's in South right. America. You guys don't speak <laughs> Spanish. What happened there? I don't know the history of that country as, as much as I should. Yeah. So the quick rundown is um, we're basically Indo-Caribbean. So, you know, once... Uh, slavery 
stopped being a thing. The British were like, well, we need new workers. So they brought Indian indentured servants, which, you know, basically is slavery over on boats to kind of take over that work. Um, they also did it with Chinese immigrants, but it wasn't as much as the Indo presence. Um, and so her family immigrated when she was kind of a teenager into Canada. Okay. Um, but it didn't really, it didn't work out well for her in Canada, to be honest. Um, okay. she, we, it, it wasn't great. Um, and so she just randomly, when I was 15, decided to move to New York. What happened, I think she was crossing the border to come visit. And um, my grandmother was sponsoring us because okay. she was in New York. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when someone passes away, that sponsorship goes away. Yeah, I never, yeah, I thought for a while that I thought if somebody passes away, they were like, well, we're still going to process it. Sorry for mm-hmm. happening. They go, no, it's over. Like that pathway is now done, which is so exactly. heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking in mm-hmm. so many levels. It really is. Um, and because my and I'm mom sorry for was, your loss on, on oh, top of everything else. I appreciate it. Thanks. Um, it was back in 2022, 2002. So, you know, almost 20 years now, it's been a while, but, um, but yeah, so my mom was crossing, you know, she didn't have the right paperwork. And so they were like, why aren't you declaring yourself as American when you're trying to cross? And she was like, I thought I had to give it up. And so it ended up with this whole thing where she was like, well, I'm going to get banned from the U S if we don't settle. So, um, and that was hard for me too, because we, um really in Canada lived in poverty like we had just gone through a period of like homelessness and we were in a shelter and we just got a home and then she was like at this let's go to New York and I was like wow. okay um but you so, had status to yourself like you were born in Canada I was born in Canada yes I'm a Canadian citizen by birth um okay. she's obviously an immigrant but she I think might have to give it up um, they're not really right now. She's completely undocumented. So for myself, I'm under VAWA, which is Violence Against Women's Act, which I guess we'll get into a little bit here. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so she just kind of brought us, and um, like when I went to school and stuff, um, I didn't have all of the right paperwork, and they just kind of took me based on like my Canadian stuff, um, like my report cards and all of that they, they used instead because I didn't have a proper green card. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then when I did get a green card, so my first name's Amy Elizabeth. Okay. Um, and they had mixed it up to Elizabeth Amy. Okay. So it still never got fixed because it's super expensive. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, like those little paperwork people don't realize about like I I thought I, I wanted to legally change my name and they told me my paperwork is going to be $700 and I was like are you serious it's like $14 to change your name on a driver's license mm-hmm. for a US citizen it's like yeah those fees you can complain about them all day but yeah so so you're legally Elizabeth Amy so technically with my VAWA filing I finally got to do it right but okay. all through my through my high school even when I w- went to I did go a little bit to college and finish, but um, mm-hmm. all of the official paperwork for that had to be Elizabeth Amy. Wow. And then I couldn't get a license because my birth certificate said Amy Elizabeth. My green card said Elizabeth Amy. All the American documents said Elizabeth Amy. And they said, you need two pieces of documents. And so yeah. it never came through. Um, 
Wow. Yeah. Oh my God. You're you're so young and have to deal with so much paperwork already. (laughs) Like why? Mm-hmm. why oh my gosh but you were 15 like did you have an idea of like that coming here like did your mom kind of explain to you like hey we're going to be moving because you know I never hear people making that jump too much like I mean I don't understand the situation in Canada I don't know how the government right. is there like was it just like I guess since your mom had immigration issues there too like she couldn't find work or anything like that yeah um she was on disability for a while in Canada to be honest she didn't sit me down and have a real conversation it was kind of a um we're doing this thing I already packed your bag we're we're driving kind of like you know so it wasn't like a conversation or she explained to me all the ins and out it was really just I don't like it here anymore yeah (laughs) no I know you're saying your mom moved from Guyana so I'm like like you're such a mixed status family on so many mm-hmm. levels that that's why I'm like, I'm having not a hard time putting it together, but I'm feeling just so heartbroken, you know, like your mom immigrated there. You're a citizen of Canada. You come here. Now you're both in this status. That's like limbo for everybody. Uh-huh. Do you have exactly. siblings? I'm an only child, um, but it's ironic because my mom does have siblings. She's one of seven and all of her siblings settled in like better so my mom was the youngest okay and when they lived in Guyana um you know her family got to go to school except then when she was young um she was about three or four her dad died and he's the one who used to work the fields like sugarcane fields you know and so when he died there was no one to pay her tuition so she never got those same opportunities Um, And so I know when they did immigrate over to some of them came to New York, some of them came to Canada, you know, a lot of her siblings had education to rely on and they could probably that into degrees. Some of them had degrees already in Guyana, you know, they don't count when you move, but they were able to get new ones. Whereas she kind of dropped out to just, you know, work fast food, work here, wherever she could get a, you know, a paycheck. Yeah. Um, No, I, Mm-hmm. that's that's almost like my grandma's story is that yeah. her family i just found this out because my grandma passed away uh two months ago but i found out that her family was wealthy but she was like uh one of 10 so by the time she was born uh they were so poor that they actually had to sell her off as like an, an indentured servant uh mm-hmm. when she was like just eight like and they worked her so hard that she failed the second grade like that's the kind of you know and it just I feel for your mom because it's just like the winds of change, you know, mm-hmm. just grandpa, uh, dad passing away. And then she wasn't able to get that, you know, that education that everybody else was able to, but she's still yeah. very strong. I mean, to go to be like, all right, screw it. It's not working out for me in Canada. I'm going to go to America. That's uh, yeah. That's <laughs> Yeah. And um, what she used to do in Canada is she was able to get a government job, but she mm-hmm. used to babysit her boss's kids. So okay. she technically, you know, that was her job when she was like an administrative assistant. Right. So, so she was a she, babysitter, administrative assistant kind of? And, well, yeah. And so she used to go to her boss's house and clean her house, take care of her kids and do all that stuff. Yeah. But on paper, she was an administrative assistant. And so, oh, hilarious. <laughs> what a high profile title for her. Yeah. Her government yeah. job, right? So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow, that's that's great so you got to uh you got to go to high school up in Canada like uh, for a while like uh yeah so I mm -hmm. 
Um, nine, up until ninth grade, I went in Canada. Okay. And then I moved to New York, I, Queens, obviously. Um, and it was a hard transition for me, honestly. I was gonna say, um, what's the school transition like from a Canadian school to to American school? You guys have to do. Was, you guys don't have to do a pledge of Canada, do you? You guys don't do that. There's no pledge of Canada like that. There isn't a pledge, but there is. Um, like, oh, Canada kind of plays every day, like the anthem. Oh, the anthem. Um, okay. But it's not. People aren't as loyal to it. Right. Um, well, that's actually like, yeah, I'm having a lot of I, I, all my problems today about the government. So if we want to talk about that later, that's that's we can definitely <laughs> get into that. But like, okay. Oh, I, um but, so so you mean like the kids aren't made to be so patriotic about the canadian government like that yeah but it's ironic because um so i was kind of the narrative of america outside of america Ooh, is okay. very negative right yeah like we see school shootings we see violence we see guns drugs all this like stuff so everyone's kind of like I mean, yeah, there's Hollywood, but everyone thinks America is this violent place in other first world countries, right. which is very different because I had my mom and my family saying, well, we came from Guyana, so America's like the new world. It's great. And I had these other little white classmates who were like, America's gross, all this stuff. And so when I moved, I was very like heartbroken kind of that I moved from Canada this great socialist haven which it really isn't but that's what I thought I was going from this great country to this not so great country and I really struggled with it because I was so um it was kind of like an echo chamber of all these other little white kids around me telling me that Canada was good and then I moved to a diverse school where for the first time I wasn't the only brown face in my classes and um I would kind of like repeat that same rhetoric that I heard heard like, oh, well, we have all this socialist plan, uh, programming and we, um, you know, our government cares about us and America doesn't have all of that. And all of the other American kids were kind of like, well, if you like it so much, you should have stayed there. And I was like, I didn't get <laughs> Go back to Canada, you immigrant. Wow, you are so, you are serious. Wow, you have such a confusing idea because i mean i oh my gosh at least for me it was like my immigrant parents like america's great america's great america's great my community america's great you're gonna go to the united states which like okay great but when i got here I, you know i had to wake up and you know to, to to the reality of this nation you know and realize like my parents idea of it even now they're actually surprisingly disillusioned by it but for you to go from a society itself like Canada telling you about the horrors of America and then you coming here and then people be like, no, these are the problems with Canada and all the dumb jokes we make. Mm -hmm. You know, you are like, no, you guys are like imperialistic pieces of shit. Like, you know, <laughs> it, was, it was a real wake up call for me that like just all all capitalist centered countries are <laughs> terrible in my opinion that's what i've gathered out of this is both yeah. canada and america have their problems yeah um, well so, you know yeah. yeah like you're younger than me you know i actually was like i've been posting a little bit online about like you know uh man democrats are so unenthusiastic about voting like you guys need to get out and vote and people are like really that's your take and i'm like mm -hmm. man have we really gotten so cynical that like just saying get out and vote is like why are you even caring you know like it, it it's really I, not I I don't mind comments I don't mind mean comments online but those comments made me sad and I was like I am yeah. sad. 
I, I think that because we don't have an opportunity to vote, it matters to us almost more because we're like, man, if I could, my voice would matter. But these people who have that opportunity, it seems like they just waste it. I, I think that's what it is. I think not having the ability, you know, it, it I haven't gone to a booth. I haven't, you know, cast my ballot, even if, it, you know, the other person wins, you know, so. So like I, I was trying to say, like, you know, I'm watching this as, as a spectator, just watching and be like, all right, you know, go Dems, you know, even though I'm not really for the team. But it's just like, right. yeah. And, you know, seeing people just be like, forget it. I'm not even caring about voting in the midterms. I'm just like, well, what I'm seeing is just a regression of, you know, e you know, just, a, a you know, even more right wing politicians being able to win even more, you know, centrist Democrat that are going to keep the status quo. So I just see it mm -hmm. keep eroding, eroding, and I have to watch it happen without being able right. to even say something about it. So I have kind of a funny story. Um, so my ex-husband, his, um, his grandparents, you know, they're very Utah folks. I once had a conversation without an ounce of irony, sarcasm, anything she was completely serious his grandmother once told me that she would rather see and i swear to god this, i'm like so serious she was that she would rather see kanye west get voted in as president than see bernie sanders get voted in because <laughs> at least kanye is a god-fearing man uh she no joke yeah she yeah no I <laughs> she would rather see kanye west as president rather than bernie sanders a lifelong politician who yeah work for others yeah yeah, yeah. And no, see, because yeah. he's jewish right yeah, so, yeah oh yeah 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 wow some people are just so lost in the sauce man just to mm -hmm. say yeah yeah so my, uh, engineer uh jesse real quick what's up my dark twisted fantasy is amazing though <laughs> oh yeah okay that means yeah one album doesn't make you president all right right <laughs> What album does not make you president? Like oh I love God. college dropout, but I don't know, man. That I know, really I know. Yeah, I love college dropout too, but I don't, I don't need him. I don't need him as my president. Uh, no, yeah, and I, I guess, yeah, and that's that's my fear though. Like just that, just Democrats are gonna just give up so much that by twenty twenty four, Trump would just be right back into the same position, and then it's like, well, my guess saying is Canada is not even worth it. So I don't even know about going up there. Right. You know? Um. So yeah, that must. So so you got to come out here and go to high school. Uh, what was that like? Did you? I mean, I came here as a kid, so I knew not to like talk too much about my status. Was that already kind of mm -hmm. like drilled in you right away? Kind of. Yeah, it really was. So my mom always told me, uh, growing up, I had the opportunity to be a doctor or a lawyer, and I wasn't good at math or science, so <laughs> okay. I said, let me try law. Right. Um, and so um, Francis Lewis is like, uh, it's it's it has a good law program. Okay. And so my mom was very like, you have to do this. You can't talk about things because you have to be, you know, on the right track to be able to get this uh, degree, which, you know, I didn't end up pursuing. But um, for a while there, I did things like moot court and um, moot court is kind of like a mock trial, but on yeah. a Supreme Court level. Um, and so I remember I would go to the uh, Proscar Rose law firm downtown, um, right across from the Times Square building. And I would, you know, go through all these case laws and on our drives home, we would, all of us who were on the team would talk about like how we felt about, 
different law mm. topics. And so immigration was a really big one. And I very specifically remember hearing all of my fellow high school students talk about, you know, how they did it the right, their families did it the right way. And so mm. even though they were POCs, they didn't understand why, you know, some people don't do it the right way. And I remember feeling so embarrassed that I was like, yeah, I agree. Like, I don't know why they wouldn't just. Do oh that yeah, no, I, yeah, I don't like, blame you. I don't want to out myself, right? Yeah. And, um, but I specifically remember they used to charter cars because we would take the subway there, and then they would charter cars because we would finish late at night. Um, them talking about it. There was one particularly um, girl in particular. Her, she was Albanian, and she was specifically very against immigration in the wrong ways, and wow. so. Um, I was really embarrassed about it because I, you know, I didn't have a choice in that. My mom is the one who made those decisions. It's not yeah. like she asked my opinion. It's not like I actually told her many times, like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to be here. Like, can we just go back to Canada? And she, yeah. Wow. <laughs> wow. No. And yeah, I, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't have any friends growing up that kind of spoke like that. So I'm sorry, you know, that, that you know, that God, that's, that's so rough. Um, yeah. Yeah, sorry, I lost my. I was just thinking about you know, I lost my train of thought for a second there. Oh gosh. Right. Um. Yeah, no, because that's difficult, you know, to to be surrounded by friends who would just treat you like that. Mm -hmm. Um. And and I know, you know, talking about your situation, I was kind of thinking about that because, uh, I never talked about it growing up. I never brought it up until I started talking about it as an adult. So that's why I kind of like you know was safe from a lot of that wrath. My my thing was always when friends were like, oh, we got this trip coming up. I just be like, oh, forget it. I can't talk about that. I don't mm -hmm. even want to go on there. You know, I got money for that, but. But especially trying to be like around other people who are trying to be in law and, you know, seeing their, you know, because I work in law now mm -hmm. and um, I work with people, you know, who are of color and they're very, very, um, you know, very smart, very you know, empathetic about the whole situation. But I feel like I don't think I can work in law, uh, in immigration law, because I don't like sort of just the, not the complacency of it all, but just like going through the motions of like being content that you helped out 30 people become a citizen in a year. And that's, you know, mm -hmm. that's a, that's a hurrah for your law firm, you know? And it's just like, and it's a great move. You know, I'm very happy that 30 new people got to become citizens, but, but these are people that have the pathway and the means, you know, and, and the money uh -huh. and the money, or, you know, some of them have very, you know, airtight situations where they could apply for certain, you know, so it's very much like, I just can't do that for 30 years. I uh, I'm looking for like political parties to join outside of the Democrat Republican because I just I can't you know, I can't just be. You know, and I'm glad I'm like that. Maybe I'm just I'm just happy that I didn't drink the Kool-Aid and become the kind of immigrant that was like, you know, yeah, they do need to do it the right way. You know, maybe if right. I got my citizenship, you know, when I was younger. I might have been able to, you know, I might have thought like that. But, you know, I'm glad that, you know, I have a different mindset. I agree. It's um, and it was surprising to me because, like, you think New York is so diverse that people would be more understanding. I'm sure some of these people have family members. Like, I know for me um, in Ghana, they call it you come backtrack, where you kind of use someone else's papers, you know. Oh, yeah. And so, like, I heard family member stories. I know people who did that. I'm sure other immigrants do too. Like. For some reason, there's a bit of a superiority where some people feel like once they have that citizenship, once they have their security, they forget about kind of the struggle of of what it's like not to have it. Like 
I, um, for example, with that moot court program, there was an opportunity to travel to the Hague okay. um, to participate in a global moot court um, trial. And um, because I didn't have my paperwork in place, my uh, law teacher, her name was Deborah Fogarty, told me that I was her first choice for it. But because she knew I didn't have the ability to travel freely, I missed out on that chance to go to The Hague and to be a part of that program, um, which was really disheartening because I worked worked hard. Like at that point in time, like I really thought I was going to be a lawyer. I was taking a whole bunch of classes specific to it, College Now classes through Queen's College, like all that kind of stuff. Wow. Um, Wow. You you and I are like the same kind of thing. I was (laughs) in John Adams High School taking HOSA, Health Occupation Students of America, trying right. i was winning medals and trying to be a doctor mm-hmm. and then you know college came around they were like you can't get loans or grants because you're you don't have a social and i was like well have a good day that was all for nothing like you right. you know and i was i was angry for a while yeah i really uh even mm-hmm. at 18 19 really turned to drinking because i was like i don't have a future you know that's what i did for a few years uh yeah well like so you weren't able to go to Hague and everything like was that kind of when it started winding down like this dream of like maybe I, I'm gonna go to law school yeah so um as so it was it was so ironic because I was winning things like a oral advocacy awards and then I couldn't go to the Hague and um I was just really struggling and so during that time when I was 16 um I had really bad depression I actually um I had tried to commit suicide. And so I was out of school Mm -hmm. for a number of months because I just, I couldn't handle the expectations that my mom had versus what I felt was achievable with, you know, the lack of status, but also just, it was just a lot of stress and pressure. And so um, Mm -hmm. when I was out of school, I started, you know, trying to just talk to people online. And that's actually how I ended up meeting uh my now ex-husband which Mm. um so to kind of explain a little bit of that I was 16 and uh we started talking um in about December and I tried to commit suicide in March so just before this like I was at a really low point in my life and um he was a grown man he was an adult he knew I was 16 he knew I was in high school and we, we started talking every day and I was kind of just venting a lot to him. Um, I didn't really talk to the kids at school about my situation, but I thought this was someone that I could because I thought it wouldn't matter, right? Like I could just talk about these things. Um, and I was also, uh, we lived in like an attic, um, you know, in, in New York, they don't always have apartments that are like up to code and so Mm -hmm. it was literally like uh, one house split into three levels and we lived in the attic you know you had the big sheetrock that you would put over the door in case anyone came to inspect the house and stuff so that you you don't you don't pretend like you live there it's not up to code it's not technically i had an apartment like that just like that for a few for like about a year so i know exactly Mm -hmm. what you mean a house with three levels that one landlord is shady as hell and every level has like four or five different apartments actually Uh so yep I was in the attic just like that sure bathroom with like three other people up there. So I know exactly yeah. where you're at. Jesus it always Christ, smelled exactly. like gas because the hookups weren't even proper. Like. Yeah. 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 There was a, there was a, I remember that attic had a, had a shower, had a light over the shower that was actually leaking water. So I'm like, man, that's just going to catch on fire. I'm going to die in here, mm-hmm. but whatever. It's 500 a month. 
Yep. You know, so I know exactly what you were saying. Yeah. So you were living yeah. in that kind of situation, terrible yeah. things at home. And, and this guy, so where'd, you, what, where'd you guys meet? Like what website or something? <laughs> so you're going to laugh at this. I don't know. Local hookups. Omegle. Oh, Omegle. Omegle. Okay. Because I thought it was like, yeah. Okay. And it was like, and it wasn't, it, it initially wasn't anything like sexual. It was just talking. And right. then we started talking on kick. You remember kick? I don't know if. That was so many. No, 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 I don't know. Kick, but okay. Yeah. You guys um, over there. Yeah. And so I was just telling him like, you know, I hate this. Like in Canada, I had an actual life and now I came to America and I live in an attic and our, the blow up mattress I lived on kept deflating. And like, I was just really upset and, and I would always complain. And so he was always like, well, if you come out to Utah, your life isn't going to be like that. Well, if you come to Utah, you'll have a proper bed to sleep in. Well, if you come to Utah, I have a home where you're not going to be having to hide from inspectors. Um, if you come to Utah, like oh, God, all yeah. this stuff, right? And so my little 16-year-old underdeveloped brain was like, well, I want to go to Utah. Then. Yeah. And so um, I, I had started um, to kind of resent my mom, I guess, for bringing me out there. And there was a lot of stuff just in childhood. It wasn't great. Like I resented her because to me as a child, I saw all of her siblings succeeding and all of my cousins having better lives. What I thought was a better life than I had. And I was like, well, how come they get to do all of these things and have these homes and do these programs. And for us, you know, I spent most of my fifth grade literally in a women's shelter with my mom. And so I just was like very resentful of her. And so, um, I kind of took all of that and started, this was my form of rebellion was I would talk to this person every day. I was like, well, at least someone is showing me like attention or love that I felt like I wasn't getting to be honest. And so um, when I went to college, the first year was fine because I was able to do FAFSA. I was able to get loans that first year. And then the second year, um, my there was some issues with immigration, and um, it I did I wasn't able to get them, and so I was able to take out personal loans, okay, instead of you know the government subsidized ones. Yeah, and then the first semester of my third year, I couldn't afford the semester I was in. I wasn't able to get any more personal loans. Of course, FAFSA had fallen through already, so I wasn't able to get that anymore. Um, And so I just, I I dropped out because I couldn't pay for it. I couldn't get any more FAFSA stuff. Um, And that last semester, I knew going into it, I couldn't pay for it. So um, it was just a whole thing. Um, And I didn't want to live with my mom again, so I... This you were school in New York? Yeah, I went to St. Bonaventure. It's in Olean. Um okay. way upstate. Okay, yeah, I was like, um, I haven't heard of that. Yeah. Yeah. And that also was a culture shock because you know, New York is diverse in the city. And then you go yeah. upstate and it's yeah. like south almost. <laughs> yep, yep. The yeah, my girlfriend's from Syracuse. So I grew yeah. up in New York City. So when I went up there to do some shows and I met her and she was like, uh, I don't hang out with those people. They're KKK members and white supremacists and they love mm-hmm. guns. I'm like, in New York? And they're like, yeah, right? New York City and New York State are two very different things. That's why people who say I'm from New York, you have to specify which part, you know, because mm-hmm. you're two very different New Yorks. 
So, um, so, you, so you were up there, but you were still communicating with the person back in Utah, even through all these three years? Through all of those years. And, you know, looking back, it was, it was very toxic. Um, grooming like, kind of thing. I mean, I hate to very, say that. I hate to say that. You know, was, was, how old was, was he? I don't know what, what the, what the age gap was. Yeah. So, um, when I first met him, I was 16 and he was 19 and he just turned 20 okay. like, as we were talking. Okay. Um, I'm 96 and he's 93 okay. and it was, it, it was, um, in my opinion, it was grooming. Yeah. Um, no, so, yeah. When you're 20, you understand what a 15, 16 year old, it, it, it's a difference. It's a difference. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and, and he also, um, I remember, you know, getting a lot of gifts, like send like gift cards or little things. Um, and also just, it was very like quid pro quo. Like he would have me do very controlling things okay. and say, well, if you did this, I'll do this. Mm -hmm. And so through therapy now I've learned that's again, in my opinion, grooming behaviors yeah, yeah. and, um, in my opinion, it's very predatory because he knew I was in high school. He would literally say things like, if you don't want me to stop talking to you, go to the bathroom and take these photos in oh. your high school. Like leave class, go to the bathroom, oh. take these photos if you don't want me to stop talking. So like, and I, I'm going to be honest, I felt pretty um, lonely. Like I really struggled making friends. I yeah. really had a difficult home life. And so I fell for it. Honestly, yeah. I just was like, I don't want this person to stop giving me attention. Um, and I actually, so I, at 23 was diagnosed with autism. Um, I'm very high functioning, but at the time in high school, I didn't understand why I wasn't relating to these other kids. And I always struggled with it all through school right. growing up. But we moved a lot when I was a kid, so it didn't matter as much. But when I was in New York, I was in one place for the longest I'd ever really been. And so I really noticed my struggles with getting the other kids really to form these lasting connections because I was very, I was very blunt. I was very direct. I very, I, I didn't have those little social cues that everyone right. else seemed to innately get. And so um, it was a very lonely time for me. And um, yeah. this internet relationship really seemed like, yeah. Especially not figuring out till now. I have I have two two sons with autism, uh, mm -hmm. and with the social cues, that's a very big big problem. Especially you not knowing, and mm -hmm. this person taking advantage of all of this on top of your of your life and this diagnosis that you don't know at the time. Wow, wow! Yeah. Just you know, just how <laughs> some people do understand the control that they have over someone is sickening. Mm -hmm. You know, so because you're saying that this did you wind up. Is this the individual that you have the case for the the VAWA case? So mm -hmm. when did you wind up uh, meeting with him and, and going through the relationship phase? Yeah. So um, when I was in high school, when I was literally a minor in high school, he actually came out and visited me in New York a couple of times. Oh, okay. Um, and so here, let me just give you a brief outline of the time. So that, that kind of happened when I was in 11th and 12th grade. Then I went to college and it still carried on in the summers. I would come out to Utah. Okay. Um, I came out to Utah a couple of times because I didn't want to go home. It just wasn't a good place for me. So um, I came out to Utah um, 
And then eventually in 2017, when I left school, December of 2016, January of 2017, I moved to Utah and I was married by December wow. of 2017. Um, and uh, a lot of things changed like that first year, like everything that he kept promising life would be like when I was a teenager, I came out here and realized it had all been like lies. It was all kind of a fabrication. And later on, he told me that I was basically stupid for believing all of the things that he kept promising and lying about. And I'm like, well, I took you at face value, right? You said that we would have this great life, we'd mm -hmm. have a home, we'd build a family. And it just wasn't that. Um, and so for a really long time, I didn't want to admit to myself or anyone that I messed up that I chose wrong right yeah, yeah um and so for for many years I kind of just hid it and you know you make excuses when I stopped talking to family and friends back home I made excuses for it I remember I had a cousin in New York who saw him one time with me and she made a comment it looks like you're with um, a pedophile because he looks so much older than you. Mm -hmm. um, and I got really offended by that. I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like I, I can make my own decisions. At this point I was 17. Um, I would had just started um, college if I remember correctly. And so I, it just, I was, I kind of doubled down on the yeah. bad decision and um, couldn't really admit to myself that I kind of left the frying pan into the fire. Um, but one thing that has really helped me is I had a psychologist from um, the time I was about 21. I had a psychologist that I pretty regularly saw like once a week. And so I would kind of tell like he was the only one that kind of knew some of the things that were going on. Um, and so um, I ended up uh, last January is when I feel things really started to fall apart. And that's because uh, in last January, I had to have uh, surgery on my genitals because of what, what was happening. And um, so prior to this, I was very dissociated. I used to smoke all day, every day right and then I had to have a surgery so I stopped smoking and that really for me kind of was a light switch kind of moment where I realized I've just been turning myself off mm. to not have to think about or deal with any of these things and um, so after I had surgery I started to kind of question things and fight back in a way and um, that's when I learned. So certain states have different rules, but Utah is a one-party recording state. Okay. So I started to record. Oh, it means you're allowed to record with if at least mm -hmm. one person's consent. Yeah. Okay. One person in the conversation has to give their consent for you to record the conversation right. in a one-party state. Okay. I don't know other states 
have we're talking about the, yeah let's talk about what but, you have to go through in utah to to, to mm-hmm. be able to go through VAWA because that's something that yeah you know not to just lead there but that's something that i have to learn to mm-hmm. to deal with at my job and and uh and it's yeah and i don't know anything about the process so you're really going to be walking through a lot of us on on what you had to do yeah so i started recording and um he had a journal where he was writing about what he did, why he did it. Um, and I took pictures of it. I took pictures of every page. And um, he, so um, my therapist told me that he, when I was sharing these things with him, he was like, I think this is in my, in his opinion, it was euphoric recall. So there's a mental state where when someone has done something like sexual abuse, basically, if they relive it, whether that's imagining it, reading about it, talking about it, um, you can trigger a mind state where it's like you're fiscally feeling, like you physically are feeling it again. Wow. Um, and so that's the level of detail that was in these journals. Um, and through the journals, I also started realizing some of those images he had taken of me when I was 16 and 17 were being circulated out of the country to a different adult. Um, (laughs) I'm laughing, but it's not a funny situation. It's um, it's a lot. I'm with you. (laughs) Um, So that's when I started realizing, okay, I need to figure out what to do. And I had, I started compiling all of this. I sent it to my therapist because I was so afraid that it would just disappear, that I wouldn't have any of it. Yeah. Um, you need to get out then, of the house in case you got your uh-huh. devices, anything like that. You're you're being smart. But then I got so overwhelmed that I again tried to commit suicide, and I actually was in the hospital for a little bit here in Utah. Um, and actually, while I was in the hospital, um, that's kind of when things really started falling apart to my understanding. Um, I, when I got out, um, there were like certain things in my email that were missing, certain things on my computer, um, all this kinds of stuff was different, but I, I, I had backed myself up by sending it to my therapist because even if I didn't have them anymore, that therapist was able to send it back to me and say, yeah. So he was going through your stuff to delete stuff, to try and delete Mm -hmm. your, your, okay. So you were, okay. So he did exactly what you thought he was going to do. Exactly. When he had the opportunity. Yeah. And so that's like the biggest piece of advice I have to anyone who might be going through an abusive situation where like your spouse is sponsoring you and you're in this, you, you feel stuck, like documentation is really the most important thing. If you tell someone, if you, get recording if you take pictures i didn't unfortunately have very many pictures it just wasn't one of the forms that i got but was um, he trying to sponsor you yeah so you guys got married um, you officially got married got married he he did sponsor me and that was held over my head a lot like every time i would try to voice a hey I'm uncomfortable with this behavior. Hey, this thing you're doing to me physically hurts. Or, hey, I don't like the way you treat me. It was always, well, I wish I could just drive you to the border and leave you. Like, and I, as a child, had experienced homelessness. I didn't have, 
like a stable environment. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And so he knew that particular threat of, I'm just going to leave you at the border was especially like terrifying to me because that was some of the worst memories that I have in childhood was living in that shelter. And so um, I kind of, it really did scare me into like not, pursuing anything like yeah. every and it was it was very consistent anytime I tried to say hey this isn't okay it was well I'm just gonna I, I'm just gonna drive you to the border and leave you and I also I have cats and he would always threaten to keep my cats and take my cats away from me um and to me they're like my babies so no, he, no was, he was trying to threaten you psychologically mm-hmm. any way possible although exactly. I, I will say this it wasn't it was nowhere near I'm sorry you went through all that but when I was married, there was like two occasions where my ex-wife out of anger was like, you know, I wish I'd never helped you with that or I wish, you mm-hmm. know, and it just kind of any relationship that kind of stuff being held over your head, like made me feel guilty, you know, and, and terrible or terrified that, you know, oh, my God, is is this fight something that you could report me for? Like, I mean, I, th- I thought we we're exactly. just arguing, but you're making it seem like now it's something that it's something I could get. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, wow, you know, it was twice, but I feel like, wow, that was really weaponized. And just mm-hmm. the fight about, you know, hey, you're, you know, you're going out too much to do comedy versus, you know, staying home and, you know, like, OK, we could talk about that, not threaten each other. So the fact that he would just do that to you, it, it was just straight up psychological warfare with this guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really it really was. Um, was. And, and and his whole like and he would really like portray himself to other people um, as, as this really like caring charismatic guy always who always always yeah and um it's the american uh, psycho you know ironically that's one of his favorite movies (laughs) yeah yeah i I, i'm not gonna lie there there was probably a time where like there was i was borderline like yeah just so broken that like these kinds of toxic male traits are just like holy crap like i saw them you know as like you know, characters you envision, you know, like, yeah. Right. And I just understand exactly what this guy's psyche is, what he's trying to create. It's disgusting. It, it was. Um, but yeah, so in these journals, I started reading and realizing that, you know, it was deeper than I, like, to me, the whole time along, I was thinking, well, he just doesn't understand how he's hurting me. He just doesn't understand why this bothers me. He doesn't understand why it's not okay. And so I thought if I can explain it well enough, right, he would stop. If I could explain to him why these things are not normal or okay, that suddenly we would have that idyllic life. And I thought if I pretended like everything was fine and I told him how I wanted to be treated, he, as my husband, should care enough to do those things. And so as I started reading these journals, I realized he's always known. He's always like, he's knowingly done these things. Um, That's a different feeling in the gut. That's just, it it is, it is. um, Yeah. It, it really, it really hit me hard. Um, And then in some of the fights we were having that I recorded, he really started to um, vocalize like, it, it just became very clear to me that this wasn't something that he was doing, you know, out of just ignorance. It was, it was very deliberate and premeditated and 
Um, so I ended up taking all of that to the police. Well, actually, so first I found out they piece, uh, there were still images of me as a minor on a drive, on a Google drive. And so initially I called the police, um, but between me calling the police and the police getting to the house, to the apartment, um, he was telling me that he would divorce me and he would drop me off at the, at the border. But before he did that, if the police came and arrested him, they would automatically send me back. And I don't have, I didn't feel that I had anywhere to go if I went back, right? Because I've been here almost 10 years. And he really made it me me believe if he got arrested, sorry, my cat is. No, no, you're all right. Um, but um, he got, if he got arrested and if the police came into the home, I was going to be deported immediately. Like, and so um, when the police got here the first time, I ended up saying, you know, sorry, I, I lied. I didn't, I, I don't want to pursue this. I apologize. Please leave. And they said, well, a report's been made. We have to come into the home. And so they kind of talked to us separately. And at this point I was very scared. I was like terrified because I didn't know like what was going to happen. And so I just kept saying, nothing happened. It's fine. It's okay. It's fine. And um, in the conversation that was in the police report, um, there was some discussion between the other officer and my ex, um, where he did on some level admit to non-consensual sexual actions. But because I said it didn't matter, I lied, I don't want to take it any further, they closed the case and they couldn't do anything, basically. Right, right. And um, for me, that's a little disheartening. I feel like, like I kind of understand on some level, if I said I lied, what are they going to do? But on another level, I kind of feel like that system let me down a little bit because I called and I reported this thing. I feel like I was visually afraid. Like I was shaking. Yeah. I remember, like I was nervous. Like, I feel like more should have been done at that point in time. And um, when it wasn't, I, that's kind of what premeditated the, the suicide attempt I had last year, coupled with, um, we started going to joint therapy, like couples therapy. And the therapist at the time, I was telling her some of these stuff that was happening and she goes, well, you don't want him to go to jail, do you? Um, and so I, I kind I, 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 it made me kind of give up in a way. And I also, um, I started physically like during non-consensual actions, I started fighting back. I started biting, started scratching. And that couple's therapist told me, well, you're fighting back. Like you're also that technically counts as as abuse because i i bit hard enough to leave marks i scratched hard enough what to a drop terrible off. therapist um you are and so wow. so i i was scared i was scared yeah, because yeah. i i didn't 
actually have paperwork that was proper. Like he was sponsoring me. Um, I knew that if that sponsorship didn't go through that I didn't have proper paperwork with my mom. Um, I, I don't, I didn't really have family that I could rely on that I felt like would be there. I felt that it's Um, so lonely. I honestly, like, I feel fair. I've been here like mm -hmm. undocumented. I feel like I can't turn to no one. Like I, I, I've been a, not terrible, but like, I mean, I've been arrested almost going to Rikers in New York city and mm-hmm. feel like I couldn't call no one if, if that's where I ended up and that's where I ended up. And that's where I got deported. So I feel like those moments of loneliness where like, I can't call anybody. I'm alone. You know, I, I feel, I, I feel for you yeah. so much. Um, cause, uh, we don't, we just want to like, um, just talk to you a little more about this, um, before we get out of here. What, what was it that finally was the, that's it like this has to end i don't care about this paperwork anymore like what was what was that so um when i had that suicide attempt i upon leaving the hospital they make me make a safety plan and my safety plan was to have him leave was i i can no longer I don't really, I didn't really care what happened at that point. I just yeah. couldn't be with him anymore. And so um, when I got out of the hospital, tech, like he did come pick me up, we got back to the apartment and I just kept saying over and over and over again, you need to leave, you need to leave, you need to leave. And I ended up it, like, this went on for like six hours where he kept refusing. And then I called his mom and said, your son is choking me and telling me that he has to decide if I live or die, he can't be in this home anymore. Um, because that was, he genuinely was doing that to me, like not at that exact moment, but that was part of the abuse that I was experiencing. And so he ended up leaving at that point in time. And, um, that wasn't the end. Like I, I do have a criminal case ongoing. He ended up, um, coming back later and stealing some of my mail. So there's a felony charge that's being worked through, um, he also, um, like in the divorce, he like, it's, it's a very, like, we're officially divorced, but his family keeps harassing me, his sister. Um, so the police, uh, the evidence I provided was strong enough that they got a search warrant signed. And so they went in, took all of his electronics. And that same day, his sister called me and threatened me that you need to stop. You know, she's married to law enforcement. So that was very intimidating to me that she's telling me I need to stop when you need to just. I never asked you, was this a white person this whole time? Of course. Of course. I didn't have to ask, but I wanted for anybody out there who was having doubts. (laughs) Just wanted to tell you how they act. All right. Yeah, Yeah, of course. Of course, a white person holding all this. This just became so much more like, ah, are you serious? Just like you know exactly what yep. you're doing. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Just, um, just no, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's, of course they were. But, um, and so there's all this stuff going on. They oh, ended up like, I can personally say that I have never had my electronics removed from my house and given over to the FBI. The same cannot be said. To my understanding about the rest of the situation. The FBI. So that's ongoing. Um, I have the VAWA filed. I'm trying to work through that. They gave me a pre-forma decision that's supposed to let me get some benefits because they reviewed the case while they're waiting. But so I used to have a work off 
And yeah. this is the thing that really frustrates me. So I used to have one and then it expired. And a lot of people think like once you have a work off, you can just work here. No. But there's like a deadline. And so when it expires, if you don't get a new one, you can't have your job anymore. And so um, when mine expired, he went around telling everyone that I just quit my job for no reason, that I just decided that I no longer wanted to work and he had to pay for everything, which kind of made some of the mutual connections that we have, it kind of colored their perception of me. And so no matter how much I tried to explain, I legally am not allowed to have a job anymore. Everyone was kind of like, well, you're just trying to like leech off of him kind of thing. Uh, and I'm like, well, that's what sponsorship is, right? Sponsorship in a marriage is one individual saying, I'm going to take responsibility for this person while they are living here. Yeah. So yeah, I have a job. I'm able to do this. Like, that's what you're doing. Mm -hmm. You have to have that's some, what sponsorship yeah, is. That's what sponsorship is. This person can't work. Yeah, they can't have work papers or anything like that. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, exactly. you wanted to work. You didn't have your, your authorization. Exactly. Well, I'm, um, I, and so no. when, when I didn't have that, it kind of fell apart. But I was lucky enough that when I did work, one big piece of advice I have to anyone going through this, keep your own money aside. I put, I, I not only did the 401k match, but I was putting more than the match into my 401k. And I was yeah. lucky enough that in the divorce, um, we got to keep our own 401ks. And so uh -huh. that help has helped me when I, like, I can't work. Um, however, that means I don't qualify for food stamps. I don't qualify for um, any of that kind of stuff. Are you currently, do you currently, uh, did they currently were able to authorize you? Uh, so they said that with the pro forma decision that I could apply, but because when I had the work off, I was doing that and putting money aside. That is what disqualifies me because you can only have like 2000 limit in any assets to qualify for things like food stamp, rental assistance, right, 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 right. all of that stuff. And so um, kind of the thing that is saving me is it's harming me too, because I, I did the 401k, but I also was just investing in stocks in general. Yeah. And so um, that thing, you know, mothers tell you as a kid, Hey, make sure you have your own secret. Account. It mm -hmm. really comes in clutch, yeah. but yeah. Yeah, no, I know. I know. I've had to. I, I've. I've. I've had to do my own things. Now, my partner's great, but I've had to do my own things to kind of like just make sure I'm set up for myself. Because yeah, as an immigrant, you gotta. You gotta. You know. Yeah, mm -hmm. you can't let everything. First of all, I don't want anything to fall on my partner. Everything you know that could bestow upon me. I gotta take care of that on my own. You know, status things like that. So, right. but it's also just smart to have your own your own account. Um, yeah. And in divorce, uh, you have to declare it anyways, but it's yeah. still it's you, you you're still protecting yourself i just feel like uh we gotta wrap up in a few minutes oh. here but like i i just god, i just feel for you so much like I, same thing for me when you hear somebody's story so similar to yours you're like god you're a good person but the system has just failed you every fucking step of the way you know because yeah. you're very smart look at you saving money putting your stuff aside and you're just i'm sorry i'm sorry but I, you know you're with 24 you said 23 25 25, 25. so mm -hmm. I, I feel like my life didn't start rolling in a better way till I was almost 30. So I think, you know, 
you're you're just crawling out of it now but you know and i'm not gonna say you know what does it kill you makes it stronger no i don't believe in that bullshit i'm sorry Mm -hmm. that you even had to go through that you know but but you know all you can do now is just you know kind of use your experience and try to help others and help them not make the same mistakes you know yeah um and actually that's something that i really want to start doing um I'm trying to figure out the legality because I'm not trying to get sued or anything, but I really want to use, um, I haven't started exactly, but I want to use TikTok and Instagram and maybe a blog as a platform to try to help other people, especially who are going through VAWA situations like mm-hmm. domestic violence, that kind of thing. Um, know what, what their rights are, where they can get help because I didn't know anything to begin any of this. And I think a lot of people don't report it. They don't say anything because they're in that same position. They don't know what help is available to them. Absolutely. Um, um, so. If people want to find you, so, you know, you can share information with them. Where can people find you? You know, because I think, you know, for me, it's always been like, you know, getting people within my community on TikTok to, to, to help me know more about my situation more than I thought I knew. So where can people find, you know, start connecting and maybe start yeah. making some bridges, um, some bridges? <laughs> TikTok is where I'm going to start my platform, I think. Uh, AES underscore 212 is my handle. On Instagram, it's AEZ underscore 212. Um, and then I would like to get a YouTube in the works. Um, but, and uh, if you reach out to me there, you can always DM me and I'll, I can give an email if you have specific questions, if you're going through anything. You know, you just want someone to listen to you even. Great. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I always say it's always great to find a community. Uh, thank you so much for, for talking to me today. It was it was an absolute pleasure. And and knowing your story would just help me, like, you know, understand a lot of people who are going through this a little bit more in, in, the, in the work that I have to do and the life that I have to live, you know, because I want to keep working for our community this way. Uh, please stay in touch with me. You know, I, I don't have a yeah. lot, but any resources or anything that I have I can share, I always love sharing. So. You know, uh, but it was great talking to you today. Seriously. Yeah. And if and in your work, you come across anyone who is feeling, you know, super lost in it. I don't have the most knowledge, but I I will do my best to research and help, too. Absolutely. We'll put all your tags and everything in our in our uh, description. Take care. Okay. You have a good rest of your day. All right. You too. Bye bye. 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 This has been a Drop Tent Media Production.